special right or an advantage that's granted or available only to a particular person or a group of people. And there are some real advantages we enjoy living here in South Carolina. Would you agree with that? I mean, we're close to the beach, close to the mountains. The weather is not as hot as Florida, not as cold as New York. I, I would call those advantages. That's a privilege, amen? But pollen <laughs> is not a privilege. It's a curse. And uh, how many of you are struggling with it already? Yeah, me too. Pray for me. I, I was really bad yesterday and last night. I'm a little bit better right now, but we'll see how it, how it works out the next few minutes. So pray for me. <clears throat> what would you say if I told you that as followers of Jesus Christ, we do enjoy privileges that most people in this world don't enjoy? As followers of Jesus Christ, we have access to some privileges that the majority of people on this planet today don't enjoy. And these are privileges that sometimes we take for granted. So today we're going to talk about two of them. There are many. We're going to focus on two privileges that we have as followers of Christ. And I don't want us to take them for granted. I don't want you to take these two privileges for granted. In fact, I'm going to challenge you to not take them for granted, okay? And the first one is, is something that's happening right now among many of us. It's the privilege of gathering with other believers to worship God. Something we do every Sunday, but a lot of people take for, take for granted. And, and, and let me just say that, that because you are here right now does not mean you are worshiping. You, you can be sitting in these chairs, you could even sing some songs and not worship Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about worship and worshiping Him with people. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Often you'll hear people say, you know, I can, I can worship Jesus on the golf course. I can worship Jesus on the lake, at the mountains. And the truth is we can worship Jesus anywhere, but the Bible teaches there is something so unique about worshiping Him with other believers. There's something so special about worshiping Him as a family, as a, as, as a church family, if you will, Something unique that happens there that does not happen when you are worshiping Him alone. Now Psalm 42 is a psalm that talks about worship. And in the introduction, it says that it's a masculine to the sons of Korah. A masculine is a, a poem, if you will, that was often set to music in worship. And so many of the psalms in the Hebrew are, are poems. And they would sing them in worship. Not all of them, but many of them. And the sons of Korah were those who led the music at the tabernacle and then later the temple when the Jews would gather to worship at the tabernacle and the temple. And so this is a masculine. This is a, this is a poem that was set to music for these worship leaders at the tabernacle or the temple. We don't know when it was written, so we don't know if this particular author was during the days of the tabernacle or later once the temple was built. We just don't know. But he's a worship leader. He's a music leader when the people of God come together. But here's the problem. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not at the temple. He's not, he's not at the tabernacle. 
In fact, he is miles and miles away. He's in another country. He's in the country of Jordan, we learn as you study Psalm 42. We don't know if he's there because he's a refugee, because he's a prisoner of war, because he was exiled. But he's separated from the people of God. He's separated from the place of worship. And he doesn't have much hope of being there anytime soon. And so with that in mind, let's read what he says in the opening verses, beginning at verse 1. He said, As the deer pants or longs for, wa- for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been, have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. <clears throat> now get this, man, this man's picture in, in your own mind. Here's a guy who was used to being at the temple, leading worship, leading the music. And now he's... He's in another country. He doesn't have the freedom to go back. Times are hard. And he misses it. It's not just that he misses his country. He misses going to the house of God with the people of God to worship God. And he misses it deeply. He's understanding in a fresh way that worshiping with the people of God is an incredible privilege. Sometimes we don't realize how special something is until we don't have it. It's gone. And then it's too late. And so he begins in verse 1 by saying, like a deer that is thirsty for water, God, I am so thirsty for you. Deep within my being there is this 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 strong thirst to be in your presence and to worship you with fellow believers. A deep spiritual thirst, deep spiritual hunger that isn't being satisfied. Verse 42, he not only says that he's thirsty for the living God, but he asks the question, when shall I come and appear before God? He doesn't see on the horizon an opportunity for him to go home, an opportunity for him to go to church, to go to the temple and worship again. He's, he's stuck for whatever reason. And he doesn't see light at the end of the tunnel. And it bothers him so much that in verse 3, he says, my tears fall on my food when I eat. And here I am, I'm heartbroken. I'm devastated. I'm, I'm longing to go with the people of God to the house of God again. And all the enemies around me, all the unbelievers around me know I'm a follower of God and that I worship God and that I used to sing at the temple and that I'm a person of faith. And they all look at me and, and how bad things are for me and how hard things are for me right now. At my circumstance, and they, they make fun of me. They, they laugh at me. They, they ridicule me and say, where is your God? If he's really God, wouldn't he get you out of this mess? If he was really God, wouldn't it be different, Pete Petter? Look at you. Where's God? Sarcastically, they mock him. 
And he says, in the midst of all that, in verse 4, I remember. I remember what it used to be like. I look back and remember what I had. And I pour out my soul within me, deep inside of me as I think about that. There's all these churnings. There's all this emotion. There's all this stuff happening inside of me. And I remember that there was a time in verse 4 when I used to go along with the throng, when I would be part of the crowd making its way as a procession to the house of God. Not only would I go along with them, I would lead them. He, he said, I would be at the front of the line. I, I'd be at the head of the, the crowd. I, I'd be the first one there. I was so excited that, that I went with everybody and I was in front of them because I was eager to be there. And do you remember those days when you were so in love with Jesus, you were so passionate about Jesus, you couldn't wait to get to church? You remember those days when you were so hungry for the presence of God and so thirsty to worship Him with the people of God that, that you got up early and you got to church early. That you came expecting something. That you knew God was there and that God was going to do something and you wanted to be part of it. And now, many of us take it for granted. If we get up in time, we make it. If we don't, we don't. If we don't have something better to do, passion, enthusiasm, the thirst, And God says, repent. Because you've allowed your love to become indifferent. You've allowed your love to become lukewarm. You've taken the privilege of worshiping me with the people of God, the King of kings and the creator of the universe. You've taken it for granted and treated it like it's just something you do from time to time instead of the privilege that it is to go into the very presence of holy God as part of his people to worship him. He continued in verse 40, verse 4, not only would I be at the front of the line leading the throng in procession to the house of God, but he said I did it with a voice of joy and thanksgiving. Not just joy and praise in his heart, but on his lips with a voice of the outward expression of it. Praise has to begin in here. But genuine praise does not stay in here. Praise of God is to be vocalized because it encourages other believers as well as encouraging you when you give voice to your praise and thanksgiving to Almighty God for all that He has done in your life. He said, I was at the front of the line and I was singing out and praising God. I heard about a lady who was visiting several churches in her community and 
one Sunday morning, she attended the Lutheran church, and the worship was rather formal and liturgical. During the pastor's sermon, she kept repeating over and over, praise the Lord. From time to time, she'd say, praise the Lord, when he would preach, praise the Lord. And finally, another woman turned around and said to her, excuse me, but we don't praise the Lord in the Lutheran church. (laughs) But then a man down the pew corrected her and said, yes, we do. It's on page 19. Now, however you do it, do it. However you do it, do it. Praise God. Give Him thanks. Look forward together and with the people of God and in unison lift our voices to Him in praise and thanksgiving. In verse 4 he says, My memory of those days is so strong. When I remember what it was like and, and I look at my current circumstances and my inability to be there and worship God, my heart breaks and it turns deep within me. Earlier this morning, out in the lobby, I was able to get on one knee and get a hug from Martha Story. She sat in that wheelchair, one of our saints who's over 100 years old. Miss Rachel was sitting over there, Rachel Carter. She's in her 90s. She, she was able to make it today, and she always gives me a kiss. A few weeks ago, Monisa and I one day visited some of our homebound members. And you you know what I hear over and over and over from those who can't make it? Is how much they miss going to church. How, How much they miss the worship. How much they miss being with their church. How much they miss being with their friends. Miss being with the people of God. And we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't know what we have until it's lost. And again, God says, repent, change, turn. Psalm 100, verse 2 on the screen and in your notes, the Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness and come before Him with with what? What is it, church? Joyful singing. And He did not say good singing. Some of us don't sing so well. But He did say joyful singing. Did you sing earlier this morning when we were singing praises to God? Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. What attitude did you bring with you when you came to church today? Did you come determined to praise God or did you come with grumbling and complaining? Acts chapter 2 verses 41 and 42, the Bible says, those who had received his word, those who heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost after Jesus ascended to the Father, Those who believed and were saved, they were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got saved. And they were continually, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking our our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Not missing church, the way some people have the habit of doing. And one of my favorite passages about this is in Revelation 1 because John, the beloved disciple who is now well advanced in years, 
is being persecuted for the gospel and has been exiled to the island of Patmos. And it's on that island that he receives this vision from God which becomes the book of Revelation. And here's how he describes it in the beginning when he says in verses 9 and 10, he said, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in tribulation and the suffering of the saints, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus because I was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus and I've been exiled, persecuted, exiled to this island. But I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is today. It's Sunday. It's the day of the resurrection, the day we worship. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me this voice like a, like, like a loud trumpet, and God gave him the revelation. When you worship Jesus on his day, God speaks. And when you don't, you miss out. You stay in bed, you miss out. You sit and wait till it's over so you can get to the restroom, but you don't really worship and you don't engage and you don't participate. You miss out. But if you worship the King of Kings, He speaks. It's a privilege to gather with His people to worship Him. Mother Teresa, I don't know if you know this, but Mother Teresa would get up and go to Mass every day at 4.30. Can you imagine? And I love that quote. When asked about it, asked why, she said, if I didn't meet my master every day, I'd be doing no more than social work. You see, it's the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we worship him that changes everything we do. Because all the good we do would be nothing more than social work if it wasn't for the presence of God whom we worship. And so the first privilege that That is ours. It's a privilege. And it's ours. That we so often take for granted is the privilege of worship. Get your clothes ready on Saturday. Not Sunday morning. Get your Bible and your tithe ready on Saturday. Get up early on Sunday. Get to church early, not late. Get to church early. And be glad you have the privilege of doing so. Here's the second privilege. Being together with other believers. Now it grows out of the first one. Being together with other believers. The Bible describes the family of God, the church, like a body. And it says the body has many parts, eyes, ears, hand, feet, etc. And all those parts make up one body. When, When people say, I don't want to be part of the church, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to be with God's people, It's as though they are saying, you know, I'm a hand and I can exist okay by myself. Now, we know that a hand by itself is useless apart from the body. God says you are a part of the body, a member of the body. 
The New Testament calls the church, the people of God, the, the bride of Christ. The bride that Jesus loves. The bride that Jesus died for. We are His bride. You are part of His bride. And when you say you don't love the church, you don't need the church, you are dissing the bride of Jesus Christ. This is His bride. And to love Jesus is to love His bride imperfect though she may be because part of what Jesus is doing is working in us to change us and to make us holy and to make us a bride without blemish I love the personal expressions of longing that are found in the New Testament when it comes to longing to be with other believers Paul had a special relationship with Timothy and in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now remember, Timothy was this young preacher, this young guy that Paul had discipled, that Paul had mentored, and they had done ministry together. They were co-workers and they were close. And when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison, being persecuted for the faith. And Timothy is pastoring a church. And Paul missed him. And every time he thought about Timothy, he was thankful, but he wanted to see him again. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He said, I thank God, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He said, Timothy, Timothy, when I think about you, I am so thankful for you. I praise God for you. And I, I pray for you, Timothy. I pray for you night and day. I pray for you continuously. Then he adds in verse 4, longing to see you. I have this deep craving to see you one more time. Paul was in prison knowing that soon he would be executed. And he said, Timothy, just one more time, I want to see you. even as I recall your tears. When I remember how you cried when we parted the last time. I want to see you again and know the joy that seeing you one more time would give me. I want to see you. Timothy, I'm in prison. I can't come to you. I'm not free. But I can pray, and I pray for you night and day. Look around this room right now. Everybody, teenagers, older people, look around the room right now. How many fellow believers in this room do you pray for? How many people in your Sunday school class do you pray for? He said, I can't come to you, but I can pray for you. I don't want to see you one more time before I die. And then years earlier, before Paul was ever arrested and put in prison, on one of his missionary journeys, he planted a church, the first church in the city of Thessalonica. 
And then years later, he would write them a letter. It's called the books of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, speaking to that church, Paul says, as we, he and those who were working with him, night and day keep praying. You notice the emphasis on prayer again? Night and day keep praying, most earnestly with intensity, that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. That church that he had helped start, now he'd gone on to other things. He said, I want to I visit you again. I want to see your face again. And, and I want to help your faith. I want to help you spiritually grow because the truth is in this life, none of us reach perfection. Our faith is always in process. It's got room to grow. And Paul says, I want to encourage you in your growth, in your continued journey. I want to help your faith grow. I want to see you face to face so I can do that. Another disciple, John the Beloved, who wrote Revelation. Now he's an older guy. Second John is a little letter. It's just one chapter. It's a little letter that John the Beloved disciple wrote to an unknown church that met in somebody's house. And in verse 12 of Second John, he said, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full. You do know that the best communication happens person to person, face to face, don't you? All of our modern technology is a blessing. But there are some things that cannot be communicated effectively via email or Facebook. It takes face to face, face to face, person to person. Acts 2.46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's okay to hang out with other believers, to go to each other's house and have meals together and swim parties and everything else, cookouts. Just get together and have fun. A recent study found that Americans on average have one-third fewer close friends today than 20 years ago. Did you catch that? One-third fewer close friends today than 20 years ago. People with whom we can discuss the really important things in life. And that this is especially true for people who are in their 30s and 40s, many of you, because you are so busy with work and kids and responsibilities and you increasingly become isolated from others. Social scientists tell us there are three conditions required for maintaining close friendships. One is proximity, being near each other. Some of you students over here, you've got some really good friends right now. And I promise you, when you graduate high school, you're going to say, oh, we'll always be best friends, and some of them you'll never see again. It's just the way life works. Adults, isn't that true? Because proximity is an important part of close friendships. Repeated connections is the second requirement. 
being together often, talking to each other often, connecting with each other often. And then the third one is a setting that encourages you to open up, to let your guard down and confide in one another. You know what that sounds like to me? A really good church. A really good Sunday school class. A really good small group. A really good ministry team. Proximity. Repeated connection. And a, an environment that encourages you to open up and confide in one another and let your guard down. And by the way, Right now in this room, you're taking advantage of privilege number one, worshiping God with the people of God. But you cannot do number two sitting in this room. You can't do the, the, the one about being together with other believers. Because in this room, you can't let your guard down. You can't connect. You can't open up. You can't share. You can only do that in small and that's why I'm saying to you, if all you do is attend worship, that's good. That's a help. But you're cheating yourself. And God's not doing in your life what he could do because you're not putting yourself in an environment where he can. This summer we're going to do something different. Those of you who want to, we're going to give you starting next week an opportunity to register, to sign up. And then we're going to assign you, those who sign up, we're going to assign you to three other couples so there'll be four of you, four families, four couples, whatever. And we're just going to encourage you to get together this summer two, three times. Meals, cookouts, swim parties, picnics, go to the lake, whatever you want to do. So starting next week, you'll have the opportunity to sign up for that. We're going to call it Meet the Family. We want you to meet some people you don't know right now. Okay? See, look at what he says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We looked at 25 a moment ago. Let's look at 24 as well. He said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another stimulate, stir up. We, we, we church members, fellow believers, we stir each other up all the time. It's just not always for good. He said we are to stir each other up. And notice he says we are to consider. That means think about. Think about how I stimulate others. Think about how I stir up others. And I'm to think about how can I stir up others so that they love Jesus and love his people and they do good deeds of service. That's the kind of stirring up I need to do. And one of the ways I do that is not staying in bed on Sunday morning but getting up and coming to church because when you are here, you encourage other believers. That's why he talks about the end of the verse. And when you don't worship and you don't gather with the people of God, you discourage other believers. Have you ever thought about the impact you have on other followers of Christ? I mean, we spend so much of our time focused on how everything impacts me. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you will be a servant, meaning that you use you to benefit others. That 
that I have a responsibility to stir you up for good things. You have a responsibility to stir me up and to stir others up for good things. It's not just about you, but what you as a follower of Christ are doing to help and encourage and stir up others to love God and to love people and to serve. It's not what you get, it's what you give as a follower of Christ. Now, this is hard. You know why? I mean, relationships are not easy. If relationships were easy, nobody would ever get a divorce. They're hard. And relationships at church can be hard. With fellow believers can be hard. Because somehow we've bought into this lie, and it's a lie from the pits of hell. We've bought into this lie that if I go to church and it's the right church, nobody will ever hurt my feelings. Nobody will ever offend me. Nobody will ever let me down. It will always be loving. It will always be perfect. And therefore, because we have that image and, it, and, and we always get let down, then we pout and then we withdraw and then we find a different Sunday school class and then we find a different church. And here's the problem. You're going to spend your whole life looking for something better if that's how you think. Because the truth is... We're all messed up. I'm messed up and you're messed up. We're just messed up in different places. And by having us together, God is helping to refine each of us. See, Jesus said we're supposed to love one another, right? Well, think about this. You can't love people if you're always alone. You can't love people if you're always withdrawing and living in isolation. Love happens in relationships, and relationships can be messy and they can be hard. But love says, I'm going to hang in there, and I'm going to work through it, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to get better, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to keep going. Love doesn't run away from fellow believers. God says, I'm going to grow you by putting you together. Because if you're always alone, you won't ever change. If you're always alone, you'll just be the way you always are. But it's in community that God gives us the opportunity And that's a privilege. I'll close with this. Warren Wiersbe, who's a well-known pastor and author, speaking of this Hebrews passage, said, it is interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. Now, I'm blessed when I come to church. I'm blessed when I worship. But, folks, it's not primarily about what I'm getting. It's primarily about what I'm doing to help the family of God. 
to help the kingdom of God. That's the New Testament church. That's New Testament Christianity. It's not about what I get and what I want, but it's about how do I make this body better? How do I help the members of this body? So, let me wrap this up. What is Jesus talking to you about as you look around this room at these people right now? What is, what is he saying to you? What, what is he saying to you about your attitude toward church and your attitude toward worship? What, what is he saying to you about your relationships with and your connection to other believers? What is he saying to you? And are, are these religious been taken for granted? And, and you need to stop taking them for granted and ask God to forgive you for that and renew your commitment. Let God heal you and restore you. Let's, let's stand. We're going to sing this song and worship the Lord, and I invite you to respond, to get on your knees here at the altar, to sit in one of these seats, to come and pray and seek God, to join this church. Pastors will be here at the front. We invite you to make whatever decision the Lord is leading you to make. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I say amen, we're going to start singing, and you're invited to come. Father, I pray that you would help every man and woman and every teenager in this room to obey you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.